This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. Unfortunately, we are looking back at the 2023 ECU baseball season and not talking about the Super Regional ahead. Will this be the final edition of the Hoist the Colors ECU baseball roundtable for now? We'll, we'll discuss that. We haven't even had that discussion, but we'll talk about that on the air we are live on youtube live on facebook live on twitter if you're tuned in as always drop a comment we'll get to it throughout the show we got jonathan wagner we got scott lorbatcher i'm steven Igo. it has been a long weekend and i'm still uh recovering much like jonathan and scott are in their own ways jonathan was in charlottesville as a fan scott was at home watching trying to take care of his kids get some work done and uh, I think we're all a little mentally drained because it's 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 hard to watch that much baseball without being invested in it. So uh, let's let's go around the horn here. Just the you know the disappointing end, guys. That that it is, but still a great season. Just you know, we'll, we'll take a look at the weekend first. Jonathan, we'll start with you. Being in Charlottesville, what was your experience like? And then seeing it come to an end last night. Yeah, it was a. It was a real roller coaster all around, and I think for me, I'm a big baseball guy. I like going around and experiencing new new venues, new places, and that was a new place for me. So I enjoyed that aspect of it, and I enjoyed the the first, you know, beating Oklahoma and then beating Oklahoma twice, I guess. But you know, getting in the game, it was a cool feeling seeing the ECU crowd as always, kind of travel around and meeting some meeting some people around the weekend. So. It was a it was a fun experience. It was a good experience. I'm glad I was there, but I I don't know if that that three run homer that Virginia hit to go up in the elimination game it truly crushed me. I just dropped my head and I stayed I stayed down for a good five minutes or so and I I couldn't look up. But it was a fun weekend. But I'm definitely tired. And regardless of the end result, it's still one hell of a season for ECU. No matter how you look at it, 47 wins. Team wasn't healthy all season long, so. I'm happy with how they did overall, but disappointed in how it ended. Scott, your take on the weekend that was um, and just, uh, you know, kind of did you have any different vantage points watching it on TV? Maybe that we didn't have seeing it in person that, you know, kind of caught your eye throughout the weekend. Yeah, I mean, from TV, it looked like some really great crowds. I'm sure you guys had a, a great time experiencing that. And uh, yeah, I mean, just. Virginia's ability to hit the ball was really impressive. Um, you know, that I don't think we've seen a team that potent offensively, maybe last year's Texas team, but but even then I don't think they were this well-rounded um, at the plate. And we shut them down that second game. He just, you know, couldn't find a way to get a second and third run across to, to win and to battle back and get back to them again, it, you know, Eventually, the way that regionals are formatted, it's, it's so hard to come out of the loser's bracket, especially against a one seed. You know, I think there's been a few teams that have done it this week, um, but they haven't done it against the one seed. Um, so, yeah, just a really tough weekend, but what a great season overall. I mean, 47-19, and 19, you win a regular season conference championship, you battle through the conference tournament and get back to the championship game even though you don't win it. Um, you know, just – all around just a really good year and 
we keep knocking on the door. Eventually, it'll open. The Pirates are banging the shit out of that door to Omaha. Well, <laughs> as Cliff Goblin said, uh, apologies to any children listening. But hey, you know, this is ACC after dark. It's 9 p.m. Y'all should be in bed anyways. If you're listening to the podcast version, then yeah, screw it up. But hey, uh, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I'll just share share my quick thoughts. You know, f- first off, uh, UVA had, this is my second time at Davenport Field. First time to Disharoon Park as they had renamed it. But uh, first class facility, man. The the stadium itself is is awesome. Um, they've upgraded some specific areas that really add character to the ballpark. As far as college baseball venues go. Probably the the best I've been to, just in terms of the you know kind of the ability to see the game from everywhere, have different vantage points, and kind of the overall setup. You know, there's some things I don't like. You know, the atmosphere at Clark Leclerc is ten times better, but the actual setup of the stadium is awesome, um, and they've done a great job continuing to add on there. It's it's going there and seeing kind of the space they have around the facility to add on makes you wish. You had that same ability at Clark Leclerc to kind of add on down in, in the outfield and to some of the, the the grandstands, but I digress. We'll uh, we'll get into you know that I'm sure at some point down the road. But um, yeah, UVA was just a little bit better of a team and playing at home made the difference. ECU missed the opportunity on Saturday night. That was the game they had to win on the road. You you can't lose that game and have to go through a pretty solid Oklahoma squad and then expect to come back and win twice. Even if they would have won Sunday night, you know, it would have shifted the pressure, but would have been difficult to try and win Monday. So Saturday night was the game, and ECU just couldn't get enough offense going in that one. So, look, I mean, ECU beat UVA last year. This year, UVA wins out. It would be nice if ECU didn't get the draw of having to face, uh, once again in the postseason, one of the best offenses in the country, like Texas last year. And having to go through UVA last year, but that's part of it. You got to beat good teams in the postseason. Um, I, you know, for the people who say it's a failure because ECU didn't make it to Omaha, I always, you know, I said this earlier on my show today. You got to take Omaha, and I know it's the storyline, but you got to take Omaha out of it and just say, if that wasn't this, you know, if that wasn't always the sole focus of ECU fans every single year, you know, we wouldn't judge a season as a success or failure based on if they make it there or not. You know, I know that Pirate fans look at it that way, but this year, just like all the previous years, has been a major success. The program is relevant. They're continuing to win on a national level. They've established themselves under this coaching staff, and, you know, they'll get there. The program has never been in a better position to get to Omaha than it is right now. And as long as you continue to have these seasons, it'll happen. And it was another great season because they put themselves in a position to get there. So that's my main takeaway is, yeah, it didn't happen again. I know it gets old for Pirate fans to hear that, but I just uh, I think the program is in, in great position, just like it has been for several years now. So, all right. Sorry, I went on a little bit of a tangent there. Um, let's get to some of your comments. Brandon Carr says, what's up, fellas? And he says, Scott still ain't got a shirt. I guess he's talking about a hoist the color shirt. Is that what he's referencing? Guess so. Since I got mine on today. <laughs> yeah. So I still, so I asked for their address, what, two weeks ago now? Mm-hmm. And I still have not sent y'all a shirt. I'm just waiting for the right time, guys. There's Better a lot do it going soon. on. I'm about to move. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely just trying to send it to whoever takes over your, your new residence, Jonathan. <laughs> Uh, Nick Henson says 47 wins, nothing to be ashamed of. We'll be back in February. And, that, you know, that's the other thing too, guys, is like I'm sad that I can't watch certain players play again in the ECU uniform. That's what hits me the most. Like doing that press conference with Carter Spivey, Garrett Saban, Lane Hoover is like it's just sad, man. It, it hits me right in the feels. I hate asking them about it, but I have to. And, uh, but man, that, that sticks with me, you know, more so than other sports. We get closer to these baseball players because we cover so many games, see them so many times. And y'all are the same way as, as, as fans and spectators. So I know it's tough, but, um, did y'all have a chance to watch that press conference and just kind of the, let's talk about the senior class a little bit. And what they mean, we'll start with Scott, just looking at, you know, Lane Hoover, Garrett Saylor, Carter Spivey, those guys definitely go out as winners. 
Yeah, you think about Lane Hoover this year and what he battled through. You know, he's losing his grandpa and then coming back and, and you know, and, and playing and kind of finding a, a role on this team where, you know, he, he went goes from leadoff to non-hitter and he just does things the right way and plays hard, plays great defense. Um, he'll put the bunt down. He'll he'll slash a ball the other way. He'll take a pitch, um, just whatever's asked of him. And, you know, I've always been impressed by guys that, that are willing to sacrifice themselves that way. Um, and then Spivey and Sailor, kind of similar stories where they just built themselves into to really high quality college college pitchers. You know, Spivey winning the uh, the AAC Pitcher of the Year last year. I'll never forget um, going through all those stats to to write that article about uh, why Spivey should be the AAC Pitcher of the Year in 2022. Um, and I'm glad he won it. And then Sailor, you know just a lot of ups and downs and then just ending, I think on a really high note um, where he just comes out and deals and throws, you know, 50 great pitches in a, in a regional game and, and keeps us in the game for, you know, the first five innings. And, you know, those guys have had a ton of success in this program. um, And you can't thank them enough for building the foundation. And as it keeps getting built, you know, when this program does go to Omaha, It'll be because of guys like Sailor, Hoover, and Spivey. Jonathan, um, nice. Uh, you know, there was a big ovation for Carter Spivey there. I don't know how how it came across on TV if they showed it or not, but you know, when they took Spivey out, the the fans across or above the dugout gave Carter Spivey a big ovation. He hugged Garrett Sailor. Um, you know, nice moment there for the fifth year seniors, kind of reminiscent of Senior Day when uh, Spivey was, was taken out and got the same hug. But a uh, cool moment there. I know it was cool to, to witness in person. And your thoughts on these three seniors? Yeah, for sure. It's And I, I'm the type of fan, you know, going into a day when someone's – I know someone's starting on the mound, you know, when I'm going up at the stadium, I'm playing their, I'm playing their warm-up song, I'm playing their walk-up songs, you know, just for the fun of it, give me a little amped up for the game. So, you know, going into it and doing it for Garrett Saylor on Saturday – and playing chain smoking for the last time, it's like, dang, you know, I'm not just going to miss a song. I'm going to miss the dude. And same thing for Carter Spivey, same thing for Lane Hoover. And I really think this weekend exemplifies everything they stand for. You know, Garrett Saylor, this really throughout his career, you know, he's kind of bounced whether it's a starter to a bullpen to a high leverage closer, whatever, whatever he needs to do, he's done it. And his last start in Clearwater, we, we all know what he did there. And then, Coming in and against Virginia, he, he again. I think he did pretty much everything you needed him to do to beat Virginia. You need to be pretty much perfect on the mound, and Garrett Saylor was just about perfect on the mound. And then Carter Spivey, he came in and you know he pitched twice in the same day, and I think that that's Carter Spivey in a nutshell. He's going to do whatever you need him to. He's going to want the ball, and let me tell you, Carter Spivey looked locked in. I was sitting right by the bullpen, and Carter Spivey was ready. He wanted that ball. And I, I think that just it speaks volumes. You know, you know, both of those guys, their arms have to be so tired. Lane Hoover has to be tired. All those guys, they've just been through so much. And they might have not again, they might have not ended on top. But just getting to where they are in this point, they all played pivotal roles in getting there. So it just it just speaks volumes of the type of people they are. And it extends so far beyond the baseball field. Yeah, I wrote this on the board, but like guys that because Carter Spivey's parents, I think, left a, a thank you message on the Hoist of Colors message board, which was awesome. But the, you know, the players that stick around for the four and five years, especially in this this era, like it's so easy to transfer. Like I've already gotten multiple messages today about ECU players, underclassmen who are transferring after, you know, not playing a whole lot, and it's not surprising. But for guys that stick it out, it's just it's it's just it's honestly awesome to see. It's it's so rewarding as somebody in our position to see it. I'm sure it's super rewarding for a the player, the coaches to see them put in that work and overcome it. But those guys that stick it out, four or five year guys, like those are the ones I always remember. Like even like guys like Aaron Ramsor in football and and Bruce Bivens, like those are the players that you keep a, a tight bond with over time because you got to know them so well. Um, and it's cool to see players play for three years, be awesome and leave, go pro like Alec Perlison, Bryant Packard, et cetera. But uh, the guys like Carter Spivey, you know, Jake Kuchmaner, uh, the, the 2017 class, 
even though they didn't finish on the high note, you know, Evan Krasinski, Charlie Jorgen, Eric Tyler, like all those guys I keep in touch with these days. And it'll be the same way, I think, with, with Sailor, Spivey, and, and Hoover going for it. Like I'm still going to reach out to them just because they're they're pirates. I mean, they, they are they embody what it's all about. So just super proud of those guys, and uh, it was awesome to cover them. Definitely wish them the best of luck uh, going forward in their future careers. And uh, let's let's get into more of these comments. So Adam McMahon says, I thought it was a pop-out. I guess he's referencing the, the go-ahead home run by um, O'Farrell. And, yeah, I honestly thought – I know he hit it on the barrel, but that thing just kept carrying, man. And on a weekend, the ball didn't carry at all. Somehow that one got some carry, and I guess it just shows how much that guy has – some juice in his bat, and he's a Northwestern transfer, big-time player. Um, we'll get into the transfer discussion here shortly because I feel like that's a conversation we need to have in, in regards to going forward. Uh, JPN1212 says, Lane Hoover catches that ball. hate that defense replacement move. Which ball? Is he talking about the go-ahead home or the three-run shot off the batters? I don't think he's catching either one of those balls. Yeah, I think on TV – that ball looked like it didn't go as far over the fence as it did. The uh, the, one? the one that was originally ruled inside the park home run okay. and overturned. Like I don't, th- it looked like it was like it looked like it didn't go over the fence. Right. Um. But then they showed a later replay where I mean it was clearly like he wouldn't have caught it either way. Yeah, and Hoover said he heard it hit off the wood of the batter's eye, so it must have hit up pretty high because I think it hit up high and then it just like came directly down, and it kind of looked like on the replay like it hit just the bottom of the fence. But I think it because it hit so high. Look, Riley Johnson's a hell of a center fielder, man. Like I, I think the dude is, you know, not that Lane Hoover's not a good center fielder, but I don't have a problem with with Riley Johnson going in for defensive purposes. Now we can have a whole different discussion on. Should he be coming in the fifth inning uh, to replace one of your your better bats on paper and Jacob Jenkins Cowart? Um, it, I mean, I guess we we can go ahead and have that discussion now because everybody asks us on Twitter about it. So the, this has been going on what about a month or two now since he came back, really, from his yeah. injury. So I mean, even really before then, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. been a while. So you know, Jacob Jenkins Cowart starts and and left. And uh, or right previously until he, he got moved to the left field, plays to the fourth or fifth, and then they go to Riley Johnson for defensive purposes and slide Lane Hoover over to left. And yeah, I mean, it's a better defensive outfield, but in theory, you know, you're taking out one of your best bats, although he's been up and down down the stretch. Um, which you could argue maybe he needs more bats to, to get out of that 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 rut, but I don't know, guys, what do y'all think about the fact that uh. You know, J.C. was a standout freshman and then, you know, kind of only played half games basically for the the second half of his sophomore season for the most part. Yeah, I think um, for me, I, I I don't love it. I'm, I'm OK with doing a defensive replacement if you're you're winning by one or two runs or you're winning a game. You're in the sixth, seventh inning. Sure, that's fine. But where I have a per I personally don't like it is when you're in the fifth inning of say a tie game or a game where you're down by two and, you know, then again, no disrespect to Riley Johnson. He swung a good bat down the stretch really. And, but again, we, we had this conversation last week and I think Riley Johnson, he, he might be hitting better right now, but JJC is the type of bat that can win you a regional. So that's you, you want him coming to the plate in the ninth inning with the game on the line and then you get into a situation where, you know, Cam Clonch is batting cleanup right in front of him and Luke Nowak pinches, pinch runs. And then you go in with two outs remaining and Luke Nowak and Riley Johnson are coming up. No disrespect to them, but they're not Cam Clonch and Jacob Jenkins Coward. Um, so it's an interesting discussion. Defensively, it's, it's no questions asked. It's better. But to me, I, th- I think I'd rather just see JJC DH if you're going to take him out and you know, it's I'm I'm not the coaches. I don't know if it's a health thing. I don't know if he's 100% healthy still. If he feels right, or but, I mean, it frustrates me a little bit. So I, I'm definitely with probably everyone here with that. 
Yeah. Well, that's the thing, Scott. You could, and you may be about to make the same point. You could DH Jenkins, Cowart, and uh, you know play Johnson in center to start with. Of course, that means Claunch is not starting. But I don't know. I just feel like there's a, a other way you could do it. But that that's how easy you played it. Just your thoughts on the situation. Yeah, I mean, one take health out of it. If he's if he's not healthy, then then that kind of changes things anyway. But my my argument would be it screws your lineup order up. Um, you know, now you're hitting behind Clanch and Moylan is is Raleigh Johnson, who I wouldn't describe as a prototypical five hole hitter, right? Like, I mean, he's he's obviously a good hitter and he can he can hit line drives and I think he hit a couple balls out this year. But I would think of him as more of a lead off two hole or an eight, nine guy. So when you take him out, take JC out in the fifth after a second at bat, then your lineup for the rest of the game has a lot less protection um, for guys like Moylan and Clanch who can get the ball over the fence um, with a little more consistency. And yeah, and like I said, you could DH him. Um, if, if it's strictly a defensive reason, then put him at DH. Um, if it's not, then, yeah, I mean, I just have a hard time saying that I would want someone other than J.C. up in the bottom of the eighth or top of the ninth um, with the game on the line. And that's not shade towards anybody. I just see him as a player that has that that gene, that clutch gene, the way that Starling's that same guy. Like, I would hate it if we were, de- if we were seven Starling out in the fifth or sixth inning because he's the kind of guy that can make a big momentum swing type moment in the eighth or ninth inning. And – yeah, I mean, I'm just definitely not a fan, and and I think it's just really does a number on the lineup overall to not have a guy with power in the five hole. You know, maybe you switch him and Will Cox in the lineup, but then you had the same issue where Will Coxon was up and down sometimes. So, it, it, yeah, I'm just not a fan. Yeah, and I do want to say, like, uh, you know, Riley Johnson had a heck of a, a season. I don't think we're – all of us are fans of Riley Johnson. It was just, you know – you know, just the, the way it was handled at certain times, you could say, well, you know, could they have done it differently? But again, their the coaching staff is has more information than we do. Um, and we're not necessarily questioning them. We're just trying to figure out, have a discussion on what's going on uh, with that situation. But, you know, Jacob Jenkins Cowart, you could say he had a down season, but his numbers at the end of the day were still very solid. He had a very solid sophomore season. So, um, and, and two people were saying, uh, his injury shut him down a little. Yeah, we got to remember the dude had a ruptured testicle. Uh, Adam McMunn says his injury would have shut me down. Yeah, uh, I think all of us would have been shut down. So, um, yeah, looking forward to a big, big junior season from JJC, however, however it happens. Uh, Charles Saley says, I used to live and die with Omaha, but I'm more interested in having a great program year in and year out. I think that's a great point, and, you know, we kind of hit on that earlier, but I think if ECU continues to have the seasons they're having, they'll put themselves in position to get there, which is, to me, the most important thing. JPN says, was very impressed with Zach Root versus Virginia, excited for Trey Savage and Zach Root to lead the staff next season. I mean, yeah, guys, you got two on paper, two potential studs at the top of your rotation. Um, Of course, both have – ways to improve in, in different situations going into the, the 2024 season. But in terms of future draft picks, I mean, you Savage looks like a potential first rounder root looks like a, you know, top two, top three rounder touching 95 in that first inning, he was juiced up and his stuff's good enough. He doesn't even have to, to stay there. Um, you know, he's got a really good change up, good breaking ball. So if he can continue to land that breaking ball for strikes and, and hone his command, and just become more consistent. He was a true freshman. If he becomes more consistent, you're going to have a very good one-two punch. And honestly, Jonathan, that could be one of the better one-two starting rotation as far as starters on a weekend rotation in the country if, if, if everything goes according to plan. Yeah, for sure. I think with, you know, Trey, I, I think with both of those guys, and this is a whole other conversation, so I'm just going to touch on it and then go back to the point. But I think having those two guys – Friday, Saturday, potentially, it adds the importance of getting a true innings eater on the mound and the rotation. It take take a little pressure off of those guys, and because Trey, we we obviously saw what Trey's capable of, but you know this is the first year he's thrown this much, so we saw him get shut down a little bit, and then he came back and he was he was Trey Savage in the postseason again. And we I've been saying all year long, 
you need Trey Savage to be Trey Savage to have a chance at a regional, and you got it. And Zach Root, he had inconsistent true freshman, and to show the glimpses that he did as a true freshman, it it really excites me for what he's capable of. I'm I'm not gonna lie, I was a little nervous at him against Virginia, just because Virginia is one of the best offensive teams in the country, and Zach Root completely exceeded all my expectations. He he pitched so well. I mean, he was straight up dominant for the first few innings. And again, it took me by complete surprise. So if you have those two guys going Friday, Saturday, and they're both on, which I think they will be another, an off season development for Zach Root is going to be big. And going back into a sophomore year, using that regional performance is kind of a, a building block for next season. And there's a lot to like right there. And that's not even touching on some of the other guys that could be coming back. Yeah. It seemed like Scott Root, Basically, in all the big, big outings of the year, in terms of like marquee opponent, big time atmosphere, that's when he sh- that's when he really sh- uh, showed his stuff. So it's almost like, how do you find a way to replicate that mindset going forward? Because he clearly has it in the tank. It's just a matter of basically bringing it out each time out, which you know is part of maturation, of course, as a young pitcher. Yeah, I would put a Saturday night starter up there for uh having a great environment especially at home next year um if you if you do have trey kind of locked down in that friday role and then saturday night is usually the highest attended game right so um you know i think that'll be interesting to see if he can fill that role um one i'd like to see him be able to get stretched out a little bit more um his 70 pitches at uva i don't know if that was the most he threw this year but it, it felt like it um, and you know, when I went to see him, he pitched at NC state when I went to that game and he pitched well, but he started off a little slow. Um, but yeah, if we can get him stretched out to where he can go 80 to a hundred pitches on a weekend, uh, I think that between him and Trey, you can end up making it so that your bullpen is a lot less taxed on Sunday and, you know, in turn, a lot less taxed at this time of the year where, you know, you see guys that have just thrown a ton of innings, um, not just as starters, but also out of the bullpen. All right. Charles Saley's really wants to know who is coming back next year. He's asked, he's asked twice as, uh, as Charles on Facebook, he says, who's coming back, who's leaving or any players we can get in the portal. And then as Chuck Saley's on YouTube, he says, who's coming back, who's leaving any players coming in. Um, so uh, look, this is a, Fluid situation, first off. I'm going to write up a, a VIP article in the coming days on Hoist of Colors, just kind of an early look at next year. You got a big incoming recruiting class of freshmen. You got the transfer portal situation. You're, you're going to have some guys naturally probably leave the program. Uh, you're going to have guys who have draft decisions to make. You know, you look at the the draft class, uh, I'm pretty positive Josh Moylan is going to move on. I, I think he's the – the slam dunk to get drafted barring something unforeseen. And then you kind of have a group of players who, you know, I've kind of heard different things on that have a decision to make. And there's still a quite a bit of time for the MLB draft. So, you know, last year at this time we were hearing CJ Mayhew and Zach Agnos would be back. We saw what happened there. So the, the group of players going off the top of my head here, I don't have a roster in front of me. You got Jacob Starlin, who's a junior. Justin Wilcoxon, who's a junior. Uh, you got Carter Cunningham in the outfield, who's a junior who has graduated. You've got uh, Landon Ginn, who's a junior. You've got Josh Groves, who's a junior. Am I missing anybody, guys, that could get drafted or have a decision? I guess Alec Makarevich has now played four years. Danny Beal could as well. Danny Beal. So you got like some of those COVID guys who have played. You have A, the guys who could get drafted, and B, the guys who have graduated and may just want to move on. Um, so all these conversations are ongoing. And you it's a Riley lot. Rally Johnson, you said? Junior, yeah. Yeah. So he's known. So you got guys in that boat. Um, and those conversations are ongoing, kind of behind the scenes and will be ongoing. But I would say, like, the ones to watch with the draft are definitely Groves, Wilcox, and. You know, we'll see what happens with Starlin and Ginn definitely has some some pro potential with his stuff. So just a lot of things happening there that could really impact, you know, who's who's coming in. And then let's say if Josh Groves ends up coming back, uh, or you know, Wilcoxon 
ends up coming back. That kind of changes your offseason outlook, especially at catcher. If Wilcoxon's back, you don't necessarily have to go out and get a catcher, whereas if he leaves, you probably need to go get one to pair with Ryan McChrystal and you know Nick DeLisi. So there's just a lot of moving parts there. I'll ask you guys, who are you all most kind of looking at this offseason? We'll start with Jonathan as far as you know, key player or two, you're really looking to see what their decision is. Yeah, I think – I mean, Jacob Starling is obviously the big one. And I think because that that beca- that becomes a very interesting decision. And you mentioned, you know, the gap between now and the draft. And guys are already in the portal. Guys are already committing places. So it, it's, it's it's a tricky situation because if, if Jacob Starling's back, he's probably your leadoff hitter and hitting second and playing second base every day. Pretty much no questions asked. But that begs the question – what happens with the rest of the infield and really just goes, it's a chain reaction from there. You know, does AMAC move on? Is third base open? Does somebody move to third base? Do they try to maybe get a shortstop and does Joey Barini move somewhere? Who knows? It's really hard to say without knowing is Jacob Starling moving on. So it's tough and it really just goes all around first base. And even a guy like Cam Clonch too, I think Cam Clonch is a big one because I'm, I'm a, I th- all three of us are big Clonch guys. And we've been saying it for a while and we, we saw glimpses of him, what he can do when he gets opportunities and down the stretch, he got his ABs. And I think he showed that, you know, he's probably deserving of a chance to be the guy at first base. If assuming Josh Moylan does move on, like I think he will, but you know, if he doesn't, again, it's does someone move over to first base. Do they hit the portal for a first baseman? whatever, but really it's, it's really just a tricky situation right now with not knowing because you've kind of, you've got to start preparing as if those guys can't come back. I think, I think you have to do that. And then if you get stuck with too many guys, I'd rather have too many than not enough. Scott, any uh, players in particular you're watching? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a, uh, a peek over to the, uh, the mound, but uh, landing again, I think, if he comes back, he gives you a really good arm out of the bullpen. And he really came on strong at the end of the year. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Groves does. And if he does come back, you know, what what is his role? Is he more effective out of, out of the bullpen, um, kind of like we saw him towards the end of this year? Or can he, you know, really develop into a guy who can, on Saturday night or on Sunday, give you five, six innings? And then another one kind of just out there, but I think he has the potential to maybe get drafted just off of, his ability is Tyler Broad. Uh, he's a junior. He's He was pumping it up, you know, 95, 96, 97, however fast it was. But, you know, that's always going to impress scouts because they always think they can fix guys that throw the hardest more than they can teach the guys who know how to throw it straight to the, the ability to throw it hard. Uh, so we'll see what happens with him. I hope he comes back, and I think he – in a, another year of development, maybe we can get him to where he could be that, like, fireman closer – that comes in and just gives you one inning of just 98 and just blows it by guys. And I think that would be awesome, but we'll keep an eye on those three guys uh, for me. Yeah. You know, it was interesting to, I I can't remember who tweeted it, but they put out like the best, basically the best individual pitchers with the best stuff in terms of spin rate, velocity, movement. And like Tyler Barat, I think ranked in the top 20 nationally or just outside. And, you know, he came to he came from VMI with that type of stuff, but a high ERA is just, for whatever reason, still very hittable despite having good stuff. And the other guy on that list was Landon Ginn. And we saw towards the end of the year, I know he gave the go-ahead homer, but, I mean, he really took off towards the end of the year. It would be awesome if he somehow does make it back because he could be a potential closer type guy. Um, as far as portal players leaving the program, you know, I'll be honest, guys, you look at the 2022 recruiting class and the majority of that class is already either gone or just hasn't panned out. Um, I'm going to run down the list I have here on Hoist of Color. So Parker Bird, obviously just a horrific accident. We'll see if he continues to uh, pursue his dream, which all signs indicate he will do that. And I hope, you know, he finds a way to play. His goal is to play next year. We'll, you know, we'll continue to monitor that situation. Awesome story. Colby Thorndike has transferred out already. Nick Galisi still with the program as a backup catcher, of course. Uh, Michael Forrett was a big-time pitcher recruit who I think decided to go to JUCO, right, out of nowhere. Yep. Um, 
not sure what, what he's doing now, but he basically made that decision to get drafted quicker, uh, kind of out of nowhere. Connor Rasmussen, I was very high on, but I heard today he's likely transferring out. Uh, we'll continue to monitor that situation. Dixon Williams, I'm still very high on, could be a very good player. Uh, obviously was stuck behind some good guys this year. Cameron Burgess has transferred out. Miles Curley has transferred out. Mason Smith left the program. So that kind of leaves Zach Root, Nathan Chrisman, and Lane, I guess, I think it's Esseray. Esseray, I don't know the exact pronunciation, but those guys are still in the roster. So, you know, only a handful of guys left from that class already. You know, and, and you can go back through a lot of these classes. You know, only about half of the freshmen end up sticking for a variety of reasons. But um, I, I think to me, A, that's a sign of how many guys could be coming back. B, just the overall numbers. Jonathan, I know you were looking at the numbers. Like, they're projected to be pretty far over the roster limit next year. So, you know, not everybody can be on the team. And this just is how it is at big-time baseball programs across the country when you recruit a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, by my count, and math was never my top subject, but I had 46 guys right now, and that, that's excluding Hoover, Spivey, and Sailor, and Rasmussen. So, you know, there will be a symmetrician. And will all – I think there's 17 freshmen in the next class as of right now. Will all of them make it? Probably not. And But 46 is a number. You can't just – it's not just a couple guys that aren't going to make it. It's They're going to be guys that are going to move on. And it that's what makes the draft so, I think, pivotal too, just because there's so many guys that are truly, I think, 50-50 that – you know, the number's really big right now, but you could have to cut a lot more if a couple guys get drafted, surprisingly, like last year. But, and I don't know, I think looking back at last year, and I'm sure we'll get into this too, but I'm just going to go ahead and start it now. But I think looking at last year, seeing those freshmen coming in and, you know, seeing maybe not a lot of them still here, to me, it emphasizes the need to use the portal. And I think you need to change a little bit, I think. There's nothing wrong with using the portal, and to, in my opinion, I, I love building a program, but just by a freshman class. But in the end, this is a program that I think you can kind of take that next step. If you don't have to go build your entire team, but you know, go get a power hitting right-handed bat, or go get an innings eater guy who can really, really start on a weekend for you or a midweek and really take some pressure off your pitching staff. Go get two guys. Go get two proven guys from the portal because this is a program where you can attract guys like that. So there, but I will say there are some really good freshmen coming in that I'm, I'm really excited about. And I think some of them, if they do make it to campus, then I Bristol Carter, especially, I think they're day one starters that are probably playing very important roles in your team. Yeah. We can go ahead and get into the transfer discussion now because I get, you know, a lot of messages about it and, and look, Cliff Goblin, it's not like they haven't used the transfer portal at all. They brought in three pitchers this past season and a, an infielder, um, Cam Murphy. Uh, not, none of them played huge roles. You know, we talked about Tyler Brott. We talked about Willie Lumpkin, who at one point, both those guys, like they would be pivotal bullpen arms and then, you know, had their ups and downs, weren't used as much the second half of the season. There was the the kid from Texas A&M, whose name I can't even remember because he Elvis. never – Childress, yeah. Childress. He never uh, – uh, Impact player of the year. <laughs> he left like the day after that podcast. Um, yeah, so like, you know, you're not going to bat 100 in the portal. So there's risk to it. You know, Childress being an example of that. But then you look at the other side of it and you look at Virginia and not every situation is going to work out like Virginia. But you look at their rotation for the regional. It was Elon transfer – Coastal Carolina transfer, Army transfer. The guy who hit the go-ahead home run was a Northwestern transfer. So the guy, one of the lefties pitching yesterday was a Georgetown transfer. So, you know, O'Connor said after they, they won the regional title, he was like, look, we're never going to build our program on the portal, but what we will do is you have to adapt to the times. And he said, basically, they lost their starting center field to the draft. They were like, we need to go to the portal and find that hole to plug because we're not going to do it with freshmen. So they took two center fielders. O'Donnell won the job. He turned into a heck of a player. They lost 80% of their innings. He was like, well, we're not just going to rely on freshmen. We got to get some experience. 
So they went out and signed three proven starters. All worked out pretty good. And he did say, too, look, we're not buying players. What we're doing is we're offering guys the opportunity to come in and join what we've already built here. So, you know, whether or not they're offering NIL money, I don't know. I don't know UVA's program in and out. But I would think that would be a very similar approach to what Cliff Godwin and his staff would take. So I'm not expecting ECU to go out and sign eight to ten transfers like UVA did, especially given the roster situation Jonathan just talked about. But uh, I, I think there's clear needs, Scott, and it would be nice, I think, for the Pirates to to pursue that route, which I do get the vibe that I think this staff will do that this offseason. Yeah, we didn't even talk about our biggest portal addition, which was Carter Cunningham, who That's went true. In and back – from ECU to the portal. So, um, yeah, you know, if you look at the, at the way the portal is used now, the program's built. There's no more, we're not going to build our program on this and that. The program is what it is. Um, so now it's time to supplement, you know, like you've bought the car, it's time to put the aftermarket stuff on it. Um, and for me, that's a, a, a right-handed bat, whether that's a shortstop or an outfielder that, you know, maybe platoons with um, Cunningham or JC and, can play, you know, maybe against the teams that have, you know, left-handed pitchers with, you know, good breaking balls. And um, it's a starter that can go out there and give you six or seven innings. A guy like Nick Parker was last year that came in and dominated us, and then we have to see him again for a completely different team the next year. Um, There's plenty of those guys. I mean, Wichita State had enough of them that are now in the portal that, you know, maybe we can grab one of them. I know uh, a lot of the uh, UCF guys have all transferred to Florida State, so – um, we won't get a uh, cam lighter, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with supplementing with the portal because otherwise you're going to be like a Patriot league team where you have guys go out, but not coming back in, you know, Navy and army don't really have the ability to take transfers um, the way that we and other schools do. So you, if you're going to lose them, you got to get them back um, and get some of that senior leadership guys that have been program guys that maybe their coach left or, Maybe their coach got fired, but they have the ability to come in and, you know, play every day if needed or fill in roles that you need. And it is, you know, we always talk about how uh, bad luck ECU has in the postseason with their draws. Like, what are the odds that you would draw the team that picked up the one pitcher who dominated you last year in the postseason to face him again in a regional for the second straight year, like, it's just uh, crazy. O'Connor, by the way, he said that the reason they recruited Nick Parker was because they watched that regional game and were like, well, we need to get this dude. Uh, and then after he hit the portal, they were like, yeah, let's 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 get him. So um, it's just, you know, it's crazy how it all all works out. But, uh, yeah, I think ECU will use the portal this offseason. Again, I don't think they're going to, like, go in and sign 10 dudes. But I do think, you know, maybe they'll look at shortstop. Maybe they'll look at some arms. Um, you know, maybe an outfitter. They they got to get it. They got to get some right-handed bats. I mean, that's an obvious. They know it. We know it. I mean, the only right-handed bat they had off the bench, guys, was like Nate Crispin, and Nate Crispin's a defensive replacement for the most part. So teams just lefted them to death, and it was uh, you know, at times they they found a way to get around it, but there were times like against UVA. Like, even if you weren't facing a lefty, if you were facing a righty with a good changeup and not a great breaking ball, you know, you can be just as susceptible. So they just didn't have a counter, and it allowed pitchers to get into such a rhythm against the offense, which I think created some issues too. Um, so, look, we'll have more discussion this offseason about what the team will add, what will be coming back as we get more information. But I know that that's one of the things people want to talk about first after the season ends, so I get it. Um, back to their questions on social media and McLean Anderson says JJC definitely has huge upside and I am okay with the DH argument, but he has not swung the bat well for a while. We had that discussion earlier and, um, you know, we all kind of agreed that maybe too, like not no, basically knowing you only have two at bats, a game can kind of play a role too, to your mindset. So. We can. We had that discussion earlier. Uh, JPN says, "Was Willie Lumpkin hurt the second half of the season? Never saw him coming to games. He pitched some. He had some arm soreness, right, guys, early in the season. Yep. 
And um, you look at his raw numbers, really not that bad. Like his whip was under one. He only walked two guys all year. The thing that hurt him was he gave up a lot of home runs. And, uh, you know, I still think, he, you know, he's got eligibility left, correct? Yes, he does. So if he comes back, I, I think he could be a guy that improves next year. Um, you know, him and Brott are interesting because I, I don't feel like they're bad pitchers. They just – had some bad luck and never seemed to really recover from it. Um, I think we missed those two-way players like Agnos, is what JPN says. Was it you, Scott, who said we're uh, Agnos away from Omaha? And yeah. I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I 100% believe that. Um, yeah. you, you know, that's that right-handed bat. That's that extra bullpen arm. That's a guy that could start a Sunday in a regional if you really needed him to. And, and, you know, he just, he had that emotional leadership that sometimes I felt like um, this team lacked, you know, that, that emotion on the field, a Ben Terwilliger type guy, you know, I, I wish he would have came back too. You know, he did have a year left um, as well. Um, but yeah, just a guy that just had that, that fiery emotion in him that the fans could feed off of as much as the team. Cause you never know within the dugout, there's guys that, that don't show it on the field as much as they show it in the dugout. But, you know, Agnos was, he could get the crowd fired as, up as much as the team. And that, and that I, I just, yeah, I'm, I miss him. <laughs> yeah. No, no doubt. He seems to be doing pretty well in, uh, in the minors. I don't really know what CJ Mayhew's doing. Um, yeah. I saw something that he had only pitched twice in like August and then not again. Yeah, oh. would have been nice to have Mayhew back as well, but you know he he decided to move on. Um, so Sam Anderson said might have missed it earlier. Thoughts on the regional atmosphere at EVA? I thought it was a good atmosphere. I don't think it compared to Clark Leclerc. Um, You know we got to see it back to back, and and I credit UVA fans for getting into it because they had to get into it because these U fans were into it. They weren't going to let them take over their stadium, but. Jonathan, you you know, being there, sitting in the stands firsthand, like how would you compare this year's regional to last year at Clark Leclerc versus the two same teams for the most part? Yeah, I think it's it's really not a it really really it's not a discussion. Just overall atmosphere, you know, Clark Leclerc takes the cake, and you know, I'm not I'm not saying that bias. It's just, that's just how it is, and it's it's the constant you know the constant chatter in the ballpark, the constant energy. You feel that when you're in Greenville. I didn't feel that at all times. Um, and I'm just I'm, – I'm only going to speak on the ECU-UVA games. Um, just I feel like those are the best kind of indicators. There's only from, 17 Oklahoma fans there. Right, yeah. But so I think – and I, I, th- I may have said this earlier. I can't remember if I said it off air or not. But in that elimination game where ECU lost, the, the energy was I – th- I thought it was pretty good both ways. And – going into the middle innings. And then when Lennigan gave up that three run homer, I really thought overall the energy of the ballpark just kind of drained because the ECU fans were kind of quiet at that point because it was, just, it was just, I mean, it completely demoralized me. I'm not going to lie. So I think overall it's just kind of got quiet and because ECU fans maybe weren't as in it at that point, they were kind of shell shocked a little bit. I think the UVA fans kind of got quiet because they didn't feel like they had to defend it. So it wasn't the constant energy, but I will say I will give them props. I do think in the big moments, you know, there was an eighth inning, two strikes. They they were really loud for that one, and obviously at the end. But in the end, there there is nothing like Clark Clare Stadium for a regional. It does feel like whenever the the home crowd gets into it, you just like you're just waiting for the guy to strike out swinging. I don't know what why it is. I guess they just get over amped, but it's like. Like, Clonch, I knew he was going to go down swinging the final at bat because, like, he was – the crowd was into it. Barry was rolling. I don't know. Maybe that's just, like, baseball, the unwritten rule. Like, if the crowd's getting into it, I have to swing at this pitch. I don't know. Um, but that's how it went down. And Starlin did the same thing against Nick Parker when they, they – you know, to, to their credit, they got up at big moments. You know, it's not like ECU fans who are up on every single pitch. Like, it's like it, – for ECU fans in the postseason, every pitch is – win or die um but yeah a uva fan sitting around me were very impressed with root is what sam anderson says especially when they found out he was a freshman 
Yeah, there were definitely some some murmurs in the press box. We had old uh, Shotgun Spratling from D1 Baseball. Uh, you know, he was asking me pregame, like, what's the deal with the root? And I was like, you know, like, he might be the type of guy that freshman in this spot seems to thrive under pressure. You know, wouldn't be surprised if he kind of spins the gym and uh, didn't didn't know what exactly we would get, but he ended up doing pretty well. Obviously, bodes well for the future. Uh, McLean says we need three or four impact guys in the portal. We discussed that. Bud's collectible says, more importantly, is Scott Lorbatcher coming back next year to be on this baseball show? So, Scott, what is your decision? I know you have a big uh, big draft coming up. You got some callers. You got some suitors. Teams are making you know calls to your agent. Do you have a decision on if you will return to hoist the colors next season? I am going to enter my name <laughs> in the hoist the colors podcast. I'm staying. I'm coming back. <laughs> Hell yeah. Unless Texas calls and then I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, we'll see what the team Boneyard can do for you guys. Uh, Jonathan, what about you, man? You're the one who's moving away. Allegedly. Yeah, so I will, for those who aren't aware, which I don't think anybody here is, um, I am leaving Greenville. Probably this baseball run was kind He's of my last. Chapel Hill. My last, oh, no, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> but this this baseball run is kind of my last last ride in Greenville. I've been here for six years now, and I'm going to be moving. I'm going to move, move into the Triangle area. I think I'm going to be in Raleigh and just be a little closer to family, be a little more central in the state. But I plan on kind of going around watching. I've talked to every week, and I'm not going to change that this week, about how great the baseball in the state of North Carolina is. And next baseball season, I'm excited to – I'm going to be at ECU games. I'm getting season tickets still next year. Don't you worry. But checking out some other ballparks. But can confirm I will be returning to the Hoist of Colors podcast as long as I go does not, you know, take away my scholarship for moving away. You know, there's a rumor out there that you're going to double dip and go ECU baseball season tickets and UNC baseball <laughs> season tickets. Is that is that true? I, I can confirm that is not true. Okay. ECU Brandon, is the only team I will be getting season tickets for and the only team I will want to get season tickets for. Brandon Carr in the comments section, Wags moving to Chapel Hill. Confirmed. <laughs> Uh, he also says, I goes, these live shows have been great. We all love the interaction. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I have. Keep it going with other sports too. And that is the plan. Of course, we got the 94-3, the game show, 12 noon to 1. We're actually going to carry that show through mid-June, and then we're going to take off July and the start of August before getting, getting back there. As far as this show, we'll continue to have live podcasts, especially more football-oriented, getting into football season. And uh, maybe we can do like an off season, you know, after the draft, guys. What do y'all think about that? Like maybe wait until the draft comes and goes, and then do like kind of a reset. What we think the roster is going to be. Yeah, that works yeah. for me. Yeah. You know, I know uh, Black Pearl posted all the summer ball assignments. I saw Barini's going to be in my uh, Holly Spring Salamanders, so I'll, I'll be checking them out some this summer. So hopefully, get to see him play. And I think Noak's on the Sharks, so I had to figure out what day they're both playing against each other. So Amac played against the Salamanders last year. Nothing like a good Salamanders-Sharks matchup. Um, that's for sure. And uh, Brandon Carr also says, Scott, kick-ass shirts. You're wearing your Joey Votto shirt today? Uh, Votto still bangs. Votto still bangs. Not Does he though? He has not played this <laughs> This is a, a 2020 season shirt. And fair, fair. He, he did bang for that one season, <laughs> that one final run. Uh, Brandon also says, I know you have more, but get you an HTC shirt, bro. It's, hey, it's in the mail, man. It's on the it's way. It's allegedly just, in the mail. It's <laughs> taken a while. Uh, he also adds, Wags, much love. Hope the weekly Carolina harassment didn't get to you too much. He loves <laughs> Don't you know? He loves it, Brandon. He's, <laughs> he's secretly a tar hole. So never, never, never in my life. Uh, Adam McMunn says, "Was McChrystal injured at the end of the year? So he dealt with a back all year, and uh, you know, I don't know how long his fractured finger on his catching hand lingered, but I know he dealt with that too. He's just been banged up." the last two years guy needs a healthy break a healthy season you know that's i don't know if 
maybe look at moving him off catcher to try and get him to have a healthy season, but I feel like his bat is still there. He even had a nice hit off the bench in a pitch hit roll. I thought that was about to be a gapper. And I, you know, the left fielder for UVA has got some wheels, man. He ran down two or three balls that I thought were going to get down. So McChrystal's a guy going into next year you could see taking a leap. Um, Josh Thomas says, what's the incoming freshman class looking like? You know, I, I don't know a ton about the class other than, you know, there are a few guys that have a chance to be impact players. You know, Jonathan mentioned Bristol Carter earlier. If he gets to campus, he could be a guy that competes for a starting role in center field really right away. Um, you've got some lefties who are pitchability guys who can potentially make an impact early. A lot of it is just mindset driven. The freshmen, what is their mindset? You have some talented position players. You got some shortstops coming in. I know one is coming in from Jonathan's high school. I'm sure he wants about, to talk about them. I was about. I was literally about to cut in and say I got to give uh, Pinecrest High School um, the the list of legends from Pinecrest High School to East Carolina, including myself, is continuing next year. And Colby Wallace, you know, I haven't seen him play in person in a while since he was younger, but. You know, he's a shortstop, third baseman, and a right-handed pitcher. Could be a potential two-way guy, and I'm excited about him. But, you know, return a two-way U, who knows? Ethan Norby, Connor Norby's uh, brother coming in. He's a lefty, one of those pitchability guys. Um, my boy Trey Daly from the Dirtbags, always hyping up Jackson DiLorenzo, says he's, like, got just the it factor. Could be kind of a closer type guy. You know, we'll see how he – Develops, but he's been up to 94 according to Perfect Game. Kind of a smaller built right hander, like a bulldog type guy. We'll see how he, you know, transitions to the college game. So we'll see. Big class. And uh, I think we'll see some transfers as well. And we'll see what happens with the roster. Um, JPN adding, who are the incoming freshmen who might get drafted? Yeah. I mean, Bristol Carter, I think, is the main one to watch. And there's some, a few other candidates as well. But as we get closer to the draft, we'll have that info on Hoist the Colors. You know, it's just things are very – like this is the time of year where you hear one thing one day and a week later I'll check in with the same source and it'll be the complete opposite. So as we get closer to the draft, I think we'll have a better feel for where things really stand. But Bristol Carter's kind of been the one who's the top talent in your class on paper. Yeah, super fast, good power. He's just raw. He's got a ton of ability, though, so we'll see what he ends up doing. Um, Sam Anderson says, I will take his spot if needed. Well, whose spot are you taking, Sam? He's taking Sam, spot. I think he's taking mine if you revoke my scholarship for, like, okay. for leaving Greenville. Sam, I've tried to get you on like four podcasts now, and you, you say you can't do it. So Hey, we, we need Sam. We had a horse of colors. We sat together for the first game on Sunday. Well, y'all should have stayed sitting together, man. What are y'all doing? <laughs> the UVA fans actually showed up for the second game. Oh, uh, okay. We had, we had to go back to our seats, unfortunately. Johnny Gardner says, is Scott a drifter on the aftermarket whip comment? What? <laughs> well, when I was said the, the car was made, we just need the aftermarket parts. Oh, okay. okay. I, I, was, I was with you, I go. I wasn't sure about yeah. it. I was missing. I was missing the, only, the, the only whip that we have here is a miracle. So, <laughs> unfortunately, I drive. I have, my aftermarket car products are uh, car seats and uh, stuff for for kids now. <laughs> kids, a little vacuum them. cleaner to suck up all the <laughs> the little crunchies and things that they. That's your whip. Um, I had something else to say, and now I forgot. Oh, yeah. Now, we always make a prediction at the end of the show. What the hell are we going to predict now? The score oh. to the Shark Salamanders game on Saturday? <laughs> I, I refuse to predict that. Are you guys coming? No. <laughs> you got to get out of the team park. I've had enough of my weekends taken by baseball. I'm going to enjoy a lot of downtime. Chasing kids and sucking up crumbs with a vacuum. They have uh, great beers at Ting Park in Holly Springs, North Carolina. <laughs> I'll make my way there this summer. It is going to feel there. weird, though, like not watching ECU baseball deep into June. Yeah. Because it's been the last three years, right? Or the yeah. last three seasons. 2020 yeah, doesn't count. 19, 21, and 22. Yeah. 
Um, I'll tell you what, let's predict this. Let's predict what transfer position do you think the Pirates add this offseason? Does that make sense? Like, Obviously, we're not going to predict the transfer player. There's like a million dudes in the portal, but what position, and it could end up being we're all right, um, but what position do you all feel strongly about ECU adding a pretty proven commodity through the portal? We'll start with Scott. Kick us off. I think a, uh, a right-handed hitting middle infielder, um, whether that's a second baseman or shortstop, we'll see, but I'll go middle infielder. And then, yeah, I think that's that's the key. Wagonator. <laughs> Wagonator. <laughs> I'm going to go also with a right-handed bat, but I'm going to say it's going to be a first baseman. I think it's going to be a, a prototypical power type of bat, someone who is a threat to hit the long ball. But if not, I could – and I've thought about this lately too, but I could also see – We've talked about the JJC defense discussion, but, you know, maybe if they don't see him as an outfielder, he's listed as a first baseman on the roster as well. That's something else I would watch out for. Carter Cunningham's played first base. So if one of those moves happen per se, then maybe that becomes a power hitting corner outfield bat. But I'm going to, I'm going to stick with a a right-handed power first baseman. Um, I could take the easy way out here and just say pitcher. Uh, I got to get specific. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with a uh, left-handed reliever. We could use one of those. Because I feel like you got Eric Ritchie. And I know they got two young guys coming in. Root's probably going to the rotation. So, you know, you could use if you get a, a decent lefty reliever type guy from the portal. little loogie action. It would be nice to have one of the 17 left-handers Virginia had. Um, yeah, what yeah. a great matchup that was, huh? Yeah. Right. They had a 6'10 left-hander. What the hell? That guy was a unit. Uh, he was, man. I was intimidated when he was trotting out the mound. I expected him to throw like 97. He threw like 89-90, though. That was kind of disappointing. Wichita State has some guys that we could probably use. They're all in the portal. Yeah, yeah. they got a couple of lefties. Probably getting some NIL money. I'm going to go with a left-handed reliever. Um, you know, you got Costello and you got uh, Ethan Norby coming in, who are two lefties. But, uh, you know, maybe you look for some more experience there to pair with Richie, who had his moments this year. I do like Richie a lot. And so, you know, we'll see. But uh, that's my pick. So, good chance you see all that happen. I think an outfitter is certainly possible as well. So, we'll see. Uh, who wins the College World Series? That should have been our prediction, not this stupid transfer stuff. <laughs> well, we could all be right with our current prediction. It is right, yeah. Well, we got to get one wrong, too. Go JPN to wants to know who's winning it. Who? Texas. Wow. Um, like, I'm not going to pick Virginia just because I can't do that. Like, just my mental state, I can't do it. But – I'm going to throw out a sleeper-ish. I'm going to say someone like Tennessee. I think they've got the talent. They suck on the road, but they just want a regional on the road. And they've got the pitching to where they can win in that kind of format. So I can see Tennessee, if not but if not Virginia. So my prediction last week on 94-3 the game was, uh, was Arkansas. <laughs> that was looking real good. <laughs> um, the team I had them losing to or had them beating was Wake Forest. I didn't want to pick Wake Forest because no number one seed ever wins it. But, I, guys, I think this might be the year. If there's one who's going to break the curse, it's them. And Maybe I think after I said Texas, I regretted not saying Wake Forest. <laughs> we're going to come full circle to close this podcast because I opened the year hating on Wake Forest. Fake Forest, as Scott called them. I called them fraud Forest, I think. But I'm going to be real. I watched Rhett Louder pitch for, like, the first time on uh, Saturday night, and man was throwing wiffle balls at 97 miles an hour. Who the hell was hitting that? I mean, I don't see anybody hitting that. They're dropping bombs left and right. So I'm going Wake Forest. I think they break the number one seed curse and win it all, although I would like to see somebody besides them win it. Wouldn't mind seeing uh, Oral Roberts bust down the doors to Omaha, hoist the trophy. I'm okay with that one. 
Yeah. Or Roberts or say what? I said TCU looked pretty good too. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing TCU make a run. Southern Miss, go Golden Eagles. Hopefully they get the host. All right, boys, let's wrap it up. This has been awesome all year long. Again, we'll be back at some point after the MLB draft, which is scheduled for July 11th through 13th. Appreciate all the commenters all season. Appreciate Jonathan Wagner and Scott Lorbacher for donating their time and effort and thought process and text messages into this show. There is a shirt coming, guys. You guys will get paid in terms of a shirt at some point. I think I did pay y'all for the one the one show y'all hosted. You did, yeah. Hey, yeah. you got me a the IRS uh, might be listening. Yeah, so. <laughs> it is true. Can. Hey, don't let let the record show that one day a few weeks ago in the regular season it was a very hot home day home game, and I was texting some some of my guys in the press box, and I go was the one that came through and brought me a water, and he gave me I two. Did. One of those was for Scott. I said that. So he paid us in the form of water, even if Scott wasn't there to accept it. I accepted it on his behalf. I did pay them, and I, I at the same time, stole from ECU <laughs> and handed them a free water. But uh, I think ECU owes me a few waters from over the years, so you know we'll be all right. <laughs> We're just breaking all the laws here. Under the table money for podcasts, stealing waters. If we get in trouble for this, I'm really getting pissed, but whatever. <laughs> All right, fellas, it's been real. Appreciate y'all and uh, everybody listening all season long. Again, we'll be back in July with the Hoist the Colors podcast. Until then, we're signing off the ECU baseball Ducks on the Pond roundtable. It's been real fun season. Thanks to the ECU baseball team for providing a ton of entertainment. Talk to you guys soon.